0: Welcome to Sex, Drugs, and Spirituality with Sidney DeLorean. That's me coming to you with hashtag executive producer Scott McNulty. How's it going, Scott?
1: Thank you. Thank you for saying my correct and proper title. Oh, it's going great. It's great to be here.
0: Thank you. Nine years in, I'm really getting the hang of this (laughs) podcasting thing. (laughs) You've got it. Um, Scott McNulty is indulging in a white claw, a classic American beverage. Um,
1: (laughs) I don't know how classic it is. I don't, How old not, are he's Like two years old now? May- like, maybe. Yeah. If
0: I don't. It's time doesn't. I don't know. I don't understand time anymore. They're from the before time is yeah. what I call the world pre-COVID-19. Did
1: these come out? Uh, these came out like after you had already given up drinking. Right? Oh, so, yeah. So you've never, probably never had one? Or?
0: Those came out since I've been working at uh, okay. And I've only been there two years. Yeah. Every time I accidentally say where I work on the podcast, I'll get like an email or a text <laughs> from a listener saying, girl, you doxed yourself. <laughs> it's like, I'm, it's you, it's you, you uh, could, a light social media search could probably figure out uh, where you, I you work. You
1: could just beep it out. You
0: know? Yeah. Yeah. I think the last time I did, I actually like re edited it to have like a gospel singer saying, hey, yeah. <laughs> um, and then, um, because GarageBand, well, for whatever reason, doesn't have like a beep like that. I, oh. I like like a sound mm. effect beep. Yeah, but it does have like seven different gospel vocals. So I usually just put <laughs> one of those um, when I need to beep something. Yeah. Um. Anyways, um. So Scott is here in studio, which is very exciting.
1: Very unquarantined. Yeah. We're risk-takers. Gamblers. Well,
0: listen, we (laughs) live in the state of Arizona, which means we're probably going to die. We're already infected. Yeah. 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 (sighs) Which, by the way,
1: I think I was thinking about this on the way here. Uh, Well, you're really going to hate me for saying this now, now that Mm -hmm. I'm already in your presence. But I was like, I bet I probably had it. Because remember I told you I was feeling nauseous? Mm-hmm. And I went to my doctor, who was also your doctor. Yeah. And I said, "Man, I just have just been feeling really nauseous this week. I think it's this medication I'm taking." And he looked it up, and it's funny. Like he like I don't think he Googled it, but he did something where he looked it up. And he goes, "Yeah, that is one of the uh, side effects that, that can happen, but it's only like four percent." You know, mm-hmm. he's like, "So it's probably not that." He's like, "It's probably something else." Uh, and then he wanted to do all this stuff, like wanted a poo sample, and he wanted me to get an ultrasound, and all. And then, like, today, I was looking up symptoms of COVID, and, like, one of them is nausea. So, I'm like, I just had COVID. Yeah. well, like, a really mild COVID.
0: I want to get antibody tested. It's hard to tell with my um, endometriosis, like, when... Like, how the fuck would I know if I had COVID? Like, I have... I get fevers and nausea all the time, but, like, the past... um, week or so my nausea had been through the roof where i was actually throwing up okay. and yeah so i it could have either been related to the endo um or it could be COVID. i who the fuck knows
1: well the thing that's so weird about it now that i actually know several people that have had it everyone's experience is totally different mm-hmm. it's the weirdest fucking virus it doesn't follow like normal patterns yeah know? like you get a flu everyone gets the same flu you know it aches and pains and fever and yeah, you know, that kind of shit. But yeah, with COVID, and I don't know. I've had coworkers that were like on their deathbed; they didn't die, but mm-hmm. I mean, they're just really, really sick. And then another coworker I have that has it right now, and he's still working. He's like, I don't know, everything's fine, you know. So
0: yeah, I don't know. Yeah, my chiropractor was saying her family was super sick in February. um They got tests or February or March. I guess it was had to be March because COVID was a thing. They got tested. It wasn't COVID, so hmm. it was just the flu. And then um, cut to like a month ago, um, her hips kind of hurt, and yeah. her husband had a fever for three days. So they mm-hmm. And so they all got tested, and they all had it. The mom, dad, they have a five-year-old daughter, and she goes, the five-year-old's only symptom was boredom because they had to quarantine for right. three weeks. But mm-hmm. she's like, honestly, if my – my hips hurt. Like I would not have gotten tested over that yeah. if my husband hadn't been sick. And so she has an autoimmune disease. So it kind of like gives me hope that if I get it, I won't die. It yeah. will be terrible. But who the fuck knows? Cause I know a 30 year old who's on a ventilator right now. Yeah, so you're like, telling me that that's um, crazy. Yeah. It's uh and it's Arizona and we are wide open for business and <laughs> um, really showing the world who's boss
1: yeah. us in and, and Florida. We're, rocking it
0: yeah
1: Uh, they just they just opened Disney World right I mean Mm -hmm. and they also yesterday was their single biggest day uh, for uh,
0: yeah I I was supposed to be going to Disney World in the fall like I had booked this trip pre-COVID Zach and I with um, two of my friends and the plan at that time was I was gonna get my surgery in the spring so by fall I'd be healthy we'd go to Disney World and then like through COVID um, and, you know, insurance cancellation and all this stuff, like, I was like, well, maybe we'll still go, like, if things, if we, if this lockdown works, you know what I mean? Yeah. And obviously, like, that, it didn't work. It didn't (laughs) work. And so um, it's it's not the time to, like, go travel by plane
1: Mm.
0: or go to a theme park, no matter how many safety protocols they have in place like i'm traveling from arizona to florida it's only a matter of time before they create quarantine laws Mm. um because right now like if you come from like new york new jersey connecticut you if you go to florida you are met at the airport by the national guard and you are told that you need to quarantine for 14 days before you can be free roam in Florida. And, um, if you don't, you can be arrested. Like it's, it's a big fucking deal. Um, and apparently that there's some political implications between that because Florida doesn't like those, you know, Yankee States. I don't know. Someone said that might have been a motivation Mm -hmm. because they haven't locked out Arizona yet, but like, it's just not the time to travel. So obviously like, and, and I'm sick. And so like a trip that involves a lot of walking in the heat. Mm. not a great time so zach and i canceled my other friends were going to cancel um but then they saw how short the wait times were when <laughs> disney world reopened and they decided what a great time to go let's go wear masks in yeah. the florida heat um <clears throat> because boy. the waits are short so it's totally worth all the other risks um
1: imagine that humidity with a mask
0: yeah, there's like reporters there, like this one reporter I follow Carly Wiesel. She doesn't want to be there, but it is her job. Like yeah. that is she is a theme park reporter. And so she's put posting about all the safety stuff and whatever and she's like, "Honestly, it's not the mask that's making it miserable. Florida is fucking miserable
1: right yeah, now." Yeah, it's July. It's,
0: it's July in fucking Florida. Yeah. The mask obviously doesn't help. Um, but yeah. I just was like, listen, I would love to like, at this point with my health, I'm not even up to like going camping, like, but I'm like, if you want to go stay at an Airbnb in Joshua Tree or like go camping, like Mm. something like that, by all means, that's fine. I just don't think that like unnecessary air travel makes sense right now. Yeah. Um, Agreed. But yeah, my friends are still going. So, uh, speaking of travel,
1: (laughs) (laughs) yes. (laughs) Uh, I believe we read a book concerning some travels.
0: (laughs) Yeah, as things go, um, Scott McNulty recommended a book and I loved it, um, because that's what happens in our friendship. Um, And so the book you lent me was called American Nomads um, by Richard Grant, who wrote the book uh, Dispatches from Pluto that we talked about on this podcast. Right. He also wrote the book um, God's Middle Finger, which kicked off our episode about narco saints. Right. Um, And so here is our... Third time covering a Richard Grant book, and I'm reading a fourth right now. So, uh, <laughs> this is the Richard Grant fan cast.
1: Totally. Uh, God, I do love him. Um, I would marry him if you weren't already married to a woman. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so the book that I read was American Nomads. It has a different name, though, now, as you discovered when you bought it.
0: Yeah, I went to buy family. it, and all the copies of American Nomads were over $50, and it was very confusing. But it appears it's been retitled, and like maybe one title was for England and one was for the States. So when I bought my own copy after I gave yours back, because I bought a copy for me and I bought a copy to send to my mom, uh, it's called Ghost Riders. Travels with American nomads. Ah, yes. Um, but it is, in fact, the same book. Um, and it covers basically the history of nomadic people in the uh, United States, um, which I, I loved. I think that Richard Grant, as a travel writer, obviously he has this nomadic spirit in it. Like oh, it, yeah. So he can relate to like studying the history of these people, and he retraces their steps. Um, it starts out, was the first guy Cabeza de Vaca? Is that the first guy that yeah, they he talk about? Yeah, he starts talking about,
1: yeah, Cabeza de Vaca, head of the cow. Ah. Uh, yes, who was a uh, conquistador, a Spanish conquistador who, I can't believe I never heard about this guy. Like, I don't, I don't remember any time in any of my history classes as a kid learning about this gentleman, but he was stranded in, um, North America for eight years, Uh, basically like his ships sank and most of his people died and, um, he was taken prisoner by a number of different native American tribes and then also lived freely among some others. And then among several others later, he was like a God among men. So yeah, they like followed him. Yeah. Big time. (laughs) Like
0: they would follow these tribes would follow him through the desert and like, it was, it, it was wild.
1: Yeah, it's a really interesting story. I've looked deeper into it and there's like several like academic books that you can buy on it. Uh, I've thought about doing that, but I'm like I don't know if I'm smart enough to slog through all of that. And, I mean, even <laughs> just this
0: chapter in the book, it was the hardest chapter for me to get through because it was so informationally dense about an era of history that I'm not entirely familiar with.
1: Yeah. Me um
0: I'm I will be the first person to admit that I am, I am not I'm not super knowledgeable about history. Um, Few people are. Yeah, like it was something that I studied in junior high and high school. I took history 101 and 102 in college. That was 20 years ago. (laughs) So um, it's not, so the first chapter was a little informationally dense and I was like, oh my God, I don't know if I'm smart enough to read this book. And then it got a little more, because he ties it in with his Life and travels because he goes to the places, and so then you end up getting it's a little more integrated
1: <laughs> and yeah. easier to learn. I don't know how he's able to write uh, so many disjointed stories into like one single narrative and make it make sense, but he's really good at that, you he know. He
0: is, yeah. He, um, so he because he goes to like s- he tries to like chart one of the walking paths of Cabeza, what's his Cabeza de Vaca, yeah. See. T- and he um cuz apparently this guy basically walked more than any other human being has walked <laughs> on this continent. They he like added up the mileage and just it yeah. was just because like th- all these paths are full of like dangers and people fucking die. Yeah. And this guy um through, you know, I don't even, I don't want to say good luck cuz he was enslaved a couple times.
1: But, yeah, but he survived. Yeah, he survived. Yeah, and and a lot of his cohorts did not. Mm-hmm. Um I mean it's definitely it was not an easy decade for him for that gentleman. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he, he, and it forever changed him afterwards. Even when he he does eventually make it back to Spain, but he's not the same man that he was and uh, he can't really he can't really get behind the whole Spanish conquest of of uh, these native peoples anymore because he's lived with them and he's he understands them and he speaks their languages and he doesn't think that it's, like, a nice thing to do to, like, go over there and, and kill them and exploit them and enslave them and, and take their land, so.
0: Yeah, and it's, wasn't it when he got back to Spain, he didn't want to wear shoes?
1: Yeah, he couldn't wear shoes anymore, and he couldn't stand the feel of clothing anymore, like, he just wanted to be, like, naked and shoeless all the time. Yeah. And so he, he ends up going back to, he as soon as he can, he gets on another ship and goes back to uh, South America, And he ends up like trekking through like the Peruvian rainforest or something like, uh, no, Paraguay. He ends up going to Paraguay. And uh, yeah, just trekking through. He goes on another really long walk. It's like he he caught the nomad bug Mm -hmm. and then he just couldn't stop after that. Uh, And eventually, Spain recalled him back. He was sent back to Spain in, in chains. They're like, we've had enough of you. Like, you're not. You're not the conquistador you once were. You've gone native, bro, and we're not into it, you know? But, so. like, why <laughs> wouldn't they just leave him
0: alone? You know what I mean? Like, that's the sort of, like...
1: people were crazy back then. It's Yeah, it's
0: this sort of European imperialism where, like, you can't yeah. just be like, all right, this dude, he's kind of done with us. Let him do his thing. Yeah. They're like, I'm... we must have him returned and break him and re... Yeah, uh,
1: and put him in jail. and <laughs> Yeah,
0: <laughs> re-civilize him and, like, you know, and of being like, all right, bro, like, do your thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think then the next chapter he goes into, he talks about the Plains Indians, um, yeah. which is really interesting. He talks about, like, the migratory patterns based on, like, the buffalo and um, how it, w- like, would work in a spiral, like, the way the winds blow. Yeah, they and basically they would followed follow. the wind. Yeah, mm-hmm. which I didn't,
1: I never knew that. So that's how the buffalo would basically figure out, like, where to graze because the wind... Kind of moves in like a clockwise or counterclockwise. I don't remember like direct. It's like a spiral direction over the North American continent. And that like is where the seeds blow basically, and then the grass becomes fertile. So the buffalo follow the wind to get to the grass, mm-hmm. and then the natives would just follow the buffalo. So
0: yeah, and they would do so on foot because um, I had known this before, but he writes about it in the book that horses are not indigenous to the United States. Right, and so like a, when people picture Native Americans, they always picture like this person on horseback right but um it wasn't until later that wasn't until and it wasn't until like how much later was it 1700s later. 1800s yeah. <laughs> it was like way i might have to google it while we're talking like when did horses come to america yeah. because it, well when he
1: he talks about the comanche tribe because they were pretty much known as the, the greatest horsemen of all native americans and they only had horses and lived as horsemen for a period of like I think it's a hundred years. There was like one, maybe one century where they were, you know, horsemen, but in the greats, in the whole scheme of like, you know, history of people on this continent, that's a very short amount of time. You yeah. Know? Before that, it was all just guys walking around and, you know, living, living nomadically and they would have to like chase Buffalo off a cliff or, you know, run after deer until they run until they collapsed from exhaustion (laughs) it's crazy to think about
0: it is did um was it the comanches who were the tribe that he talked about that um kind of they evolved alongside horses and they were all kind of bow-legged and they like (laughs) ate slept they would give birth on their horse like yeah everything they lived on their horse and um it was really, like they would defecate off the horse yeah like just the <laughs> idea of like giving birth on a horse like they that is how attached they came it looks like um Columbus brought some over in 1493 and then um some people brought them in um I think it, it was the Spanish again in yeah. 1519. So yeah, 1500s horses. But so they were saying with the um, Comanches that they were so attached to their horse. It was so much a part of it that even today he like he visits a Comanche reservation and this guy is like, hey, do you want to a, a ride to your car? And like his car is just like,
1: yeah, 10 <laughs> yards
0: away because that's just how they are. They, they don't like to walk. <laughs> they don't like to walk because they, they're just they, they ride.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um. Yeah, that I really thought was interesting. Um so he when he was writing this he lived in Tucson, right? I think that yes, was his correct. home base. Right. So there's a lot of southwest stuff which obviously like that's our home.
1: Um the uh, like the great tragedy of of me discovering Richard Grant. Because I discovered him. No. <laughs> bit, you know, because a friend of mine introduced me to him, to his work, not to him. But uh, the tragedy of it is that he lived in Arizona for like 20 years and we never knew about it. Yeah. Then we start reading his books, you and I, and we're like, oh my God, this guy's amazing. Does he still live here? No. He no. left. <laughs> he lives in yeah. Mississippi now. So it's like, oh, just the, the thought, like if I knew that he still lived here, I would somehow find a way to like oh, go yeah. visit him. Yeah, Absol- for sure. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, um, yeah he he meets up with some guy and he's like hiking outside of tucson um like listen i am not a smart person so i can't remember what tribe he was talking about it might have been comanche territory with the ravines remember he was like the place and he met that weird hippie guy who said he was god
1: yeah he was hiking in the chiricahuas in southern arizona and uh there was uh well, that was a white guy that he met. That, but he yeah. was like a real hippie that was like living in the caves. But yeah, there was always rumors that there's Apaches. That, That's yeah, what it was. That okay, lived, that you know, a lost Apache tribe. He talks about that same thing. That same myth persists in Mexico too. He talks about mm-hmm. it in his other book, The uh, Tar- God's Middle finger. Mara.
0: Yeah, yeah. If I remember correctly, I'm sorry, guys. Don't cancel me. I don't remember things well. No, never, never. Um, but yeah. So, so I think that is a common thread of like these lost tribes that managed to escape. You know yeah um the white
1: people that came in and he picks up hitchhikers along the way and some of the as you would expect a lot of them are kind of fucked up people Mm -hmm. and um vietnam veterans and you know just crazies and uh but what's amazing to me is that he picks them up and puts and he's like yeah get in my car with me and let's see what happens you know and he turns that into like a chapter or or, you know five or ten pages in a chapter and it's amazing to me that he Can again like weave these little tiny stories into a larger narrative, Mm -hmm. uh, so seamlessly. It's really interesting.
0: Yeah, he learned from one of the hitchhikers, or he. So he wrote about the um. What's the railroad gang? The rumored railroad
1: gang. Oh, the FTRA.
0: Yeah, what is that? Freight Train Riders of America, and he actually rode a train with them. Like he hopped.
1: Yeah, that blew my mind with
0: them, which is insane because like I consider that. To be very dangerous.
1: Very dangerous. Very illegal. Yeah. And I mean, not just dangerous from like the perspective of riding an empty box car and what could happen to you, but the fact that he's with these people that are, you know, they're basically like criminals, you know? I mean, yeah. they're not real, you know, they're, they're always in a state of intoxication and it, it's, it's, you know, it's a pretty scary crowd to be hanging out with. So. Yeah. And he's an Englishman, Richard Grant. Let's not forget that. I mean, he's, he's, he did live in Arizona for 20 years, but he's, He's an actual Brit. You know, he's an English gentleman. So it's quite strange, you know. Well, you know what (laughs) he
0: talked about that I didn't know is that um, he was talking about uh, Scottish people and how they were always being ousted from their lands. So that's why he believes they have a migratory spirit. Yeah. Because uh, maybe you can explain this better. What happened to Scottish people
1: It's religious, right? It's, it's uh, the Scotch-Irish, which I had heard that term before, but I never understood what it meant, and he goes into a long explanation of it. Basically, it's Scottish people from the, the lowlands of Scotland, uh, they got pushed out by the English over and over again. So the first they pushed them into Ireland, and they said, go live in Ireland, because we don't give a shit about Ireland. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the English started colonizing Ireland, and they said, no, get out of here, we don't want you here. So they, a lot of them started going to America. And then they, you know, they started out in like Pennsylvania and then they went and then, but they were really rough around the edges, you know, and so the the Pennsylvanians were like, get the fuck out of here, we don't want you. So they ended up going into uh, what was then, you know, unsettled country, Appalachia, you know, like mm-hmm. Kentucky, Tennessee, like those, where those states are now. And they basically became like hunters and they lived with the Indians and they traded with the Indians and then they just kept moving like as the population grew, they just kept moving further and further west. And the first mountain men, who were like these uh, trappers that lived out in the you know the Great Plains and and the Rockies, the trapping beaver, they were mostly like ninety five percent Scotch Irish.
0: Yeah, he said the sort of Appalachian accent that we know has yeah. its roots in Scotch Irish. Yeah, dialect like that's where a lot of that pronunciation comes from, which yeah, and is the, interesting. And the
1: terms "redneck" is actually like a Scotch Irish term, oh, yeah. which, I, which blew my mind because it means someone who's like, because they were all Presbyterians too, so they were Protestants, mm-hmm. and so they would like go to these, you know, they would have like these fiery preachers, you know, like railing against Catholicism, they were called rednecks because they, you know, had a fiery speech, uh, you know? Uh, so it doesn't mean what we think of as a redneck, you know?
0: Well, I always thought that it was, like, a term from getting, like, you're working class, you're a laborer. Yeah, yeah sunburn. You're getting sunburn exactly. on your neck. That's yeah. how yeah. we all think of it, you know? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, the family um, comes from... <laughs> sorry, everyone, a chaos in the studio. Zach sneezed in the other room, which sounds like... Is that what that was? That I was, was like, what is that noise? It so, yeah, it sounds like he's <laughs> screaming in pain. It, it honestly, like, when he sneezes, it's like something is fighting its way out of his nose because it's like,
1: <gasps> I was worried. I thought maybe it was a home invasion.
0: Yeah, so. nope, just just sack sneezing, and now the dogs, which are in the studio with us, are barking about it. Um, but everything's going to be fine. Um, yeah, so he that was interesting about the Scotch-Irish, and then he does, like he talks about these famous trappers and how the like fur trade went. And yeah. it's weird because it was a really short time period in American history that like right. the fur trade was going on because basically these things got like over farmed. Like they yeah. we uh, killed
1: all the beavers. Basically. We killed yeah. all <laughs> the beavers.
0: Um, but there are groups of people who like to do reenactments of this era. What is this era? What would we call this?
1: Well, they're called the mountain men. Okay. So, um, Yeah, a good example of that, by the way, is the movie, uh, it's a movie starring Robert Redford from, like, 1983, it's called Jeremiah Johnson, I've seen it as a kid, Mm -hmm. um, and it's basically about, but I didn't know the history behind it at all, I just thought, like, oh, it's this movie about, like, these guys that they wear, like, skins, and they live, they kind of lived with, with or near the Indians, and they were just kind of like crazy old white dudes you know yeah but yeah that, that was the mountain men they were basically fur trappers they were you know mostly scotch irish and they went out there for the money basically just mm-hmm. to trap because beaver pelts were worth a lot of money but only for like a 20 year 50 year period right something yeah like really i think short. it was less yeah. than
0: 20 years it was like it yeah. was it was <laughs> short um i'm sorry guys i don't have the exact figures read the goddamn book we're just here yeah. to give you a taste. But his
1: his take on the reenactors though is great because they're all like idiots and they don't know anything about what they're what they're reenacting.
0: Yeah, yeah. so he goes to this thing because basically the trappers would have um like annually they would go out, they would trap they would bring their goods like into market to sell or trade, and then they would spend this money. What was, it was called like the hullabaloo baloo or something. Yeah,
1: the, uh, the rendezvous.
0: The rendezvous, and so they would all party their faces off for <laughs> and like spend a week. all the
1: money that they earned in yeah. one day. <laughs> yeah,
0: and, and catch venereal diseases. Yes. <laughs> um. And so there's these like reenactment rendezvous, and he goes to one, and like they make him change his clothes. To yeah, get they wouldn't in. let him
1: in until he yeah put on like reenactment clothes. <laughs> and
0: some of these guys are wearing outfits that they spent like one guy. Lives lives in his sprinter van rv but he has a ten thousand dollar trapper outfit yeah because that's like the thing they want everything to be exactly authentic to the time period whatever right um and the one guy the guy who like lives in his van he's a historian and so he's in it for like the legitimate history and he says all these other people that just dress up and you yeah. know it's like cosplay basically and they um they try to talk in the dialect of the time yeah and they'll be sitting on like they'll have a cooler full of beer but it'll be encased in like carved wood, so they'll kind of yeah. like pull back the fur to pull a beer out like because right. they have to they're hot it's in the it's like where did, i forget where they had this rendezvous he went to but it was fucking hot yeah and so they would like send guys out to get ice so they and but then everyone would hide the ice in their ice chest because right. obviously like that's not period accurate but they're they're not gonna go shit in the woods and they're not gonna drink warm beer right. so like they aren't skewing all modernity to do this, and they're all they're all like fat white guys. They reminded me a lot of like my uncle. He's just like a fat blowhard white guy who's like yeah watches the History Channel all the time. Is like but the thing you did about this, <laughs>
1: He's
0: like hey, you you.
1: They definitely so. remind me. My mom was really into reenactment culture for a long time. But she used to do these like uh, she belonged to these groups that were like Western reenactors. You know, mm-hmm. they weren't necessarily reenacting anything. They just would dress. In, you know, dress in Western clothes and and go to these uh, – there's, like, a place out in California that she – her and her boyfriend would go to once a year that's basically, like, an old movie set where they used to film, like, Westerns. Spawn Ranch, home of the
0: Manson family. That
1: might, might be it. No, yeah. I don't think uh, I don't similar. know. <laughs> well, <laughs> they go there, and they have, like, a big party, and everyone – but it's, like, you know – they're just a bunch of drunks yeah <laughs> exactly white people, you know? yeah it's renaissance festival <laughs> yeah. it's mm-hmm.
0: society for creative anachronism which like yeah i don't mm-hmm. want to yuck anyone's yum but like <laughs> it is kind of funny to do something that's like very like cosplay like drink your beer have your whatevers you know what yeah. i mean because it's not real but like if you're trying to do a, you're it's you're so down to the wire that you won't let anyone wear something into the rendezvous that has machine stitching on it, right. But yet yeah, your drink you've you've got a igloo cooler in there. Yeah. you know what I mean? <laughs> it's ridiculous. Um So yeah, that was a really funny chapter. Um, I'm trying to think of other places he went before we get to the final chapter, which is like my least favorite.
1: Um, it's funny because I figured that would that last chapter would have been your favorite chapter. I mean, it, it, <laughs> I relate
0: to it the most. So the last chapter, he gets into RV culture and yeah. he goes to the gem and mineral show uh, in Quartzsite, Arizona. In Quartzsite, right. Arizona, where I've been, um, we I drive through it every time we go to California. It's um, it's kind of like not quite halfway between here and Disneyland, but it's. It's close to the halfway mark. Yeah, and it is a city that's all on wheels. Like even the post office is a trailer. Like mm-hmm. it is literally a mobile city. I think there's you can't like,
1: even really call it a city. It's like a.
0: It's it's weird. A and settlement. It's, it's a settlement, <laughs> and <the> <laughs> yeah, in the middle of the desert. It's banked by mountains. It was. Founded by um, a guy from the Middle East uh, who they called High Jolly because they couldn't pronounce his real name, which I don't know what it is. Hmm. Um, but he came out there and he was doing like a project for the U.S. military um, to use camels to transport mail. Right. Um, I cannot remember where, like what the exact year was. But basically, like, yeah, he's like, I'm from the Middle East. I know how camels work. Um <laughs> I I'm now in America. Like, let me set you up with some camels for your mail service. And so he kind of founded this town in the desert. Um, And it's weird. It's all basically, it's all shops where people sell a lot of gems, a lot Mm. of like handicrafts. Um, I went to one of the places I went to, this lady tried to sell me like a jade dildo. (laughs) And I was like, I don't think I need that. Yeah. Um and it's every store it's not like a brick and mortar store it's literally like a tent with a table in it like and they right. just I don't know if they set them up every day or if they feel safe, like leaving them up. But like everywhere I went there, people would talk to me. Like I knew they'd be like, well, you know, that windstorm that came by, it took Jenny's place down. She hasn't, <laughs> she hasn't fixed her tent yet. And I'm like, I don't know Jenny. Cause I just told you I'm from Phoenix where <laughs> we have more people. So we don't know all of them there. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but, uh, so they have this gem and mineral festival every year where I like, it's like, I don't know. It's like 100,000 people who come over the course of the month or so that it runs. And it just is like a giant swap meet, basically.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. And uh, it attracts a lot of RVers, a lot of full-time RVers. And so it's his last chapter where he's, like, wrapping it up. He's moved through the history of nomadic people in um America. And he kind of falls in with this, like, senior crowd of RVers. Yeah. And this lady's, like, showing him around and being, like you know, all these men just want sex and they just (laughs) knock on my RV door at night, but I'm looking for like the real deal or nothing at all. And so I, it was, it was a good chapter and it was entertaining, but like, it was the weakest when you're dealing with like people traversing mountains, like the first guy who saw like the Sierra Nevadas and like... Compared, the, compared to some lady in an RV in site, I, I was like, oh, it's a little anticlimactic because... I agree. Um, because nomad culture, like, he talks about the full-time RVers, and the, it's it's interesting there because there's a circuit of people who do it full-time. There's young people who do it, and they do, like, mobile jobs working at Amazon warehouses or, like, wow. seasonal work at, yeah. like... You know, like, it is a full-time it, thing, and it's interesting, but it has a lot more infrastructure in it when you have especially the people who have hundred thousand, hundred and fifty thousand dollar RVs, you know? Yeah. Like is that the same as a guy refusing to wear shoes <laughs> walking across <laughs> the entire continent? Like it's a little less Yeah fascinating.
1: No, I agree. I like when I uh I started rereading the book again after you gave it back to me and um yeah i, I stopped at that chapter i was like yeah i don't really I just again. yeah <laughs> i was not really invested
0: yeah. in any of them i think the um the more interesting chapters were about um about Native Americans. And he there was a talk about how, like, you know, pre the way we are now with roads laid out like grids, like everything had a more organic, free-flowing nature and openness. Yeah. And he, in his language, wrote about how that makes the mind feel different to be yeah. out there following a winding river instead of driving a straight road where yeah. everything is, like, boxed off. And, um, yeah, it just – it's interesting because he, he – there's – Okay, so this is where we'll get into my thing where I want to talk about peyote because, Mm -hmm. so he's talking about all these people like living their life with the land, traveling it, working in conjunction with nature to take care of themselves. Um, And he talks about, you know, how it worked with all the Native Americans being put into reservations, which wasn't even necessarily like where they mainly were. Like number one, they're nomadic, but number two, like they would be put in a reservation in an entirely different state. Right. And he talks about how they, you know, the government tried to make them live in separate houses Mm -hmm. and they're a communal culture. So they ended up like they would just all sleep at this guy's house one night (laughs) and then all sleep at this other guy's house. And then like the the government people like, we're like, we, we're breaking this up. We have to put you in your separate houses. Yeah. Like, why the fuck do you care is what I, I don't understand. Like, That's why the so, fuck do yeah. you care?
1: That's what's so frustrating about reading that is, is the, just the will to enforce your particular uh, culture on another people uh, is really uh, upsetting. And, um, and I will say this about Richard Grant, if I may, real quick, is that he doesn't, paint a rosy utopian picture of what Native American life was mm-hmm. like pre-Columbian Native American. I mean, it, it was a violent and, yeah. and deadly world to live in. It was, you know, uh they, they fought incessant wars with each other, mm-hmm. they enslaved each other. Um there was a lot of violence, you know. It was not it was not this um sort of like happy rainbow utopia This sort of like yeah. liberal
0: ideology that exactly. we think yeah. today where like these people were one hundred percent peaceful.
1: Yeah. And then <laughs> like, like they were all vegan or something, you know what I mean? Yeah, like exactly. He meets a guy that says like, Oh no, they didn't eat meat, like what, dude? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they killed everything that moved. Uh but at the same time they lived in more in harmony with nature, mm-hmm. you know, than the Europeans who came after them did. And uh, and there is a lot that you know that you can take from their culture that's quite beautiful, you know. And the fact that you know the Europeans just could not handle anyone living differently than them.
0: Yeah, you know, it's it is
1: insane. It's <laughs> like
0: you take these people who knew how to live with nature; like they didn't overhunt. Did they overhunt the buffalo, or did that that no. happen when the white people came? That was in. the
1: white people that did that. So like mm-hmm.
0: they didn't overhunt buffalo, they didn't overhunt beaver. Like they also like ate those things and wore those furs, but they didn't do it to destruction right and then white people came in and they did these things to destruction and destroyed the animal populations and whatever and so uh yeah it's it is really weird like just reading the reasoning of people behind like and and then because of manifest destiny like Mm. because (laughs) these people were savages um we had to put them in these pens and then also like regulate how they lived their lives once they were within them. Yeah. Which I thought was really fucked up. Yeah, it's very. Um, and so one of the things he says in it is that um, peyote was not part of any like tribes ritual. Like it wasn't a thing until they were forced onto reservations. Right. Um, and I had never heard that before. Yeah. I just assumed, okay, this thing has its roots since forever, right? Um, but it, it wasn't a thing. It wasn't super popular. And so I thought I have this podcast called Sex, Drugs, and Spirituality. <laughs> um, and uh, I want to investigate this. So I did nice. to be like, what the fuck is up with peyote? Um, and so I figured I'd give like a little lowdown on it and and I have like a brief history. The history is really complex on how it like moved from like tribe to tribe in usage, like the early history, the modern history, like 1900 to present is really easy because whatever. So, um, so peyote is like. The plant that mescaline comes from, which when I was a kid, I did. I thought those were like totally two different things. I was like peyote, you know, I didn't know. Right. Um, It's a small spineless cactus with a bitter taste. And so it's the theory is it doesn't have spines because it tastes bad. Right. So it doesn't need them. It has bad taste for a defense. Um, It contains the psychoactive alkaloid mescaline. um, And the word peyote is derived from the Aztec word for glistening. That's, like, the theorized reason for it. Hmm. Um, It grows in northern Mexico and south Texas naturally. It likes growing in, like, little rocky areas, um, and it likes, like, a little shade. Hmm. Um, So it says it's primarily found in the Sierra Madre Occidental, Chihuahuan Desert, uh, and states of Nayarit, Coahuila. (laughs) <laughs> this is where it gets roughy rough. Nuevo Leon Tama. Uh, you know what? I quit. I quit. <laughs> I quit. Sorry guys. I suck. Um, it's a blue-green or yellow green or reddish green plant with pink flowers, and it's really low sitting. It looks like yeah. little buttons. A real squat
1: little plant. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Little
0: guy. I guess it has some antimicrobial properties. Like, it it could be Mm. used with wounds and stuff, and it was. Um, And when you, like... Farm it, like you want to cut the button off like above the root because a lot of people, they just go, they cut it off, like not natives, but like white people who go out in the desert and are like, I want some peyote. <laughs> they cut it off too low and then it um the root like rots and it oh. dies. So you want to farm it in a way that it doesn't die. Um, it's actually been over harvested in Texas uh, to the point where it's considered an endangered species and it is from... Humans over-farming it, just going out and cutting it off and killing it, and also, I guess, feral pigs like it. Mm. (laughs) Um, Interesting. Yeah, it's chewed or brewed into a tea. Um, Also, uh, some people dry it into a powder, and they smoke it and snort it, but Mm. traditionally, it would be chewed. Um, It generally makes you really nauseous before you feel the psychoactive effects. Uh, Doses for pure mescaline are roughly 200 to 400 milligrams, which would be 10 to 20 grams of dried peyote buttons. Um, it's It varies widely in potency, so it's really hard to say like,
1: yeah,
0: you know, and like you do shrooms. I don't think those w- vary widely in potency, so you can kind of just go a gram is gram. Yeah. But this can be wildly off. Um, hmm. w- it, so 10 to 20 grams of dried buttons is like four to six buttons, I guess. Um, it's a 10 to 12 hour trip. It has visual, wow. auditory, uh, physical effects, a loss of ego. And apparently it has cross tolerance. So like if you do peyote a lot, you would have a high tolerance for LSD, even though they are v- different. Mm. Um, wow. Because um, what did I write down? So peyote is a phenethylamine. Mm. Phenethyl. Yep, sounds good. It's the same family as MDMA, and LSD and psilocybin are tryptophan. Mm. But for whatever reason, researchers have noted this sort of like cross tolerance. Um, the first archaeological <clears> sample <throat> of it is found uh, between uh, 3780 and 3660 BCE. Um, so, native North Americans were using peyote since five and a half thousand years ago. Um, But it wasn't widespread. It was mostly this tribe called the fuck. I practice how to pronounce this, (laughs) and I'm going to fuck it up. It's the Huichol of northern Mexico. Um, And so what happened is, like, they were the only peoples that did peyote. It wasn't a widespread thing. And partly because it does grow in this narrow geographic strip. Yeah,
1: there's not a lot of it.
0: Yeah, and so obviously, like, if you're, like, a Great Plains tribe like this isn't in this you wouldn't have access yeah what you wouldn't even know what the fuck this is um but so when they were um shoving all the tribes onto uh reservations they put a lot of them in the oklahoma territories Mm. and this guy um who was a comanche chief named Quana parker he had gotten um half white oh was he yeah Okay, because he he ended up becoming this big politician guy. Yeah. um, Mm -hmm. But he had gotten peyote in Mexico, and he brought it back to the Oklahoma territories and was like, you guys got to try this. Um, This is amazing. And um, it led to the founding of the Native American Church in 1918, which it says is a Christian-based faith, but it involves um, peyote ceremonies, which were done in teepees. And the reason they did them in teepees Even if it were tribes that, like, didn't use teepees beforehand, they would set them up so they could do this in privacy without like the white people. Yeah. I don't know what you call the like fucking they're prisoners is yeah. or, 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 uh, prison guards is what they are. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, like the prison guards who are like overseeing the reservation. Yeah. I don't know what you call those. They're jailers. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they, in order to do peyote ceremonies, like in private, a- away from their like oversight, they would do them in teepees. So now that's how they are traditionally done is in a teepee um which is really interesting what i thought was poignant about this is that psychedelic drugs weren't a part of the spiritual practice of tribes when they were living their life the way that they feel they were meant to live meaning interacting with the earth which mm. i think is a spiritual experience in and of itself yeah right like the I'm not. I'm not like a hippy-dippy person, but like I think we are inherently meant to interact with the earth, and yeah. like it can be proven from the fact that like people who like touch soil and like slaughter animals have stronger microbiomes because we're supposed to have the bacteria and stuff from the soil, from the animals. Like we're supposed yeah. to have that on our skin right. and in our body. So like you are a healthier, stronger person when you interact with nature, you are a happier person when you see greenery, like we yeah. are just meant to engage with the earth. And so uh, psychedelics weren't a part of tribal ritual before they were put on reservations. And so I think it's interesting that afterwards words and they're confined and they're 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 in prison, that then they engage in this new spiritual practice, mm. which then has a substance that's opening up floodgates to connect them with the divine, which right. is how I interpret most psychedelic experiences. Like you're connecting yeah. to whatever whatever the divine is, whatever this thing is. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I don't think that that's, like, a coincidence. Like, the timing doesn't seem... No, definitely not. I mean, obviously, being put on reservations near each other helped spread the word of it, obviously, but I don't know that it would have taken off if people weren't in this situation of confinement,
1: yeah. because
0: when when you are living your life um, and engaging with nature, you are already connected to what it is, Yeah. and only when you are separated from it do you then need something else to help break you through... Right. to to that
1: so I'll well, just I, look at our own culture and how how many drugs we consume you know? ex- exactly there <laughs> yeah. we go yeah I don't
0: I I don't um, yeah you, like there there aren't op- there weren't opium dens for people living like <laughs> rural nomadic lives yeah. they happened within cities like opium addiction as far as I know please correct me if I'm wrong generally globally is seen within city centers yeah. Um, so I think there is a connection in that. Um, and so, yeah, so the fact that peyote has only been a part of, um, Native American religious practice for a hundred years. Um, so I don't know. I thought that was interesting. Um, uh, a- around that time it was also like synthesized by, um, Merck Pharmaceutical. <laughs>
1: Oh, really? Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. So uh, the Native American church uh, was founded in 1918. In 1919, an Austrian chemist synthesized mescaline and then Merck um, started marketing it as a pharmaceutical in 1920. Mm. And it was to, like, make your respiratory system stronger. It was like, try this. It's safer than cocaine. (laughs) Um, So that I think it was marketed as, like, an alternative to cocaine. Um, But it's a pretty safe drug. Uh, So this study in 2007 found no evidence of long-term cognitive problems related to peyote use in Native American church ceremonies. Researchers stress their results may not apply to those who use peyote in other contexts. Mm. So maybe if you're using it You know, what do they always say about psychedelics? Set and setting. Right. Maybe if you're doing it in the wrong set and setting, it it would have a different effect. But it doesn't seem to have any cognitive effects long term. Uh, a four-year large-scale study of Navajo... Apparently, Navajo are the largest users of peyote now, yeah. by the way. Yeah, Um, And so a large-scale study of Navajo who regularly ingested peyote found only one case where peyote was associated with a psychotic break in an otherwise healthy person. Other psychotic episodes were attributed to peyote use in conjunction with pre-existing substance abuse or mental health problems. Uh, later research found that those with pre-existing mental health issues... Are the most likely to have uh, adverse reactions to peyotes. Mm. Um, But there are no flashbacks, which flashbacks in general um, by scientists are like thought to not be a thing when people are like, I'm having a flashback, bro. Mm. That's like not a thing, it's not real. Um, Peyote is not addictive. Um, and it was studied in the thirties and forties as a tool for mental health until LSD was synthesized. And then mm. they started t- studying that in the fifties.
1: Right. Um,
0: <clears throat> so yeah, so that's really interesting. Um, I made this book, s- th- it's such a good book. And then I just made it sound really, really sad. Cause everything about <laughs> everything about that makes me really sad.
1: No, it is a great book. And I mean, the, uh, I went to high school with a guy, um, named Rick Ramirez who uh, was Mexican and Navajo. His family was like on the the rolls, the official register of you know the Navajo tribe. So he actually would go to these peyote ceremonies even as a high school kid he, okay. he'd, he'd taken peyote several times and um, yeah, I was always fascinated to hear about it and um, he said it was uh, you know it's gross it tastes like, they would drink it as a tea, it tastes really gross, you get sick. Uh, sometimes you throw up because mm-hmm. you feel really nauseous, but uh, but it, it was a cool trip. And he had done a bunch of other stuff too, like he he was like my drug friend, so he oh. you know he like LSD and pot and shrooms and everything. And he was like, yeah, yeah, peyote's pretty cool. It's more it's more of a mellow. Uh, he said it was like more more mellow than LSD. You know, kind of like more of a, like an earthier type high
0: interesting you know?
1: yeah a- so.
0: apparently it's very per microgram or whatever it's ve- it's not very potent it's like mushrooms per microgram are like 500 times stronger and lsd is like over a thousand times stronger so you mm. have to take more peyote to get the same high yeah and then you throw up which sounds
1: yeah pre- pretty mm-hmm.
0: unpleasant um did your friend was he so when did he do you know when he started doing the ceremonies
1: I don't know. I mean, with the time that I knew him, he was like 16, 17. Okay. And he'd done it a couple times, I think maybe, maybe two or three times. I don't know. But, um, ye, yeah. I mean, I know ayahuasca will also make you throw yeah. up. Yeah. I think it's kind of similar in that. And I also know, I've heard that it tastes terrible as well. Yeah. Usually you drink ayahuasca as well, the same way you drink peyote. So.
0: Yeah. Ayahuasca is DMT, right? Is that yeah. the most active ingredient in yeah. it? Um, which i i can see the appeal of like engaging in a spiritual ceremony with it yeah but then also like part of me is like just just fucking smoke it. because nah. like, the, 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 If you know people, you can get smokable DMT, and then you yeah. don't get all that vomiting. But
1: it's really hard to smoke, though, I hear.
0: You have destroyed. to bong rip it, and apparently after the first rip, it's hard to take more, but like, you need to take three to really like break through and well, see the mechanical elves. I have a hard time with that. Yeah, well, number one, the coordination involved, and like, I, I'm not a practiced bong user. Right, you
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, And my few experiences with smoking a bong were, like, filled with coughing. Yeah. And it It was pretty rough. So, uh, I mean, I would like to do peyote and ayahuasca. Not at the same time. No. Yeah. But I would like to try them both.
0: Yeah, same, same. Um, I feel like, like, real talk, I feel like after I get over this hump of, like, getting my surgery and my health, like, I will probably want to, like, trip really hard or just do something because like I literally, and this sounds like such like, Oh my God, trauma. But like I, this has been like the most psychologically challenging experience of my life is mm. like being a person in so much pain and sickness and not having a recourse to deal with it yeah and not knowing when the end of it is. Like wh- when you have the flu, like every time you get the flu, if you've ever had a bad one, you're just like, God, I just want to die. yeah Like I remember uh, I had norovirus a couple of years ago and I was hallucinating. My my roommate had gotten me a Mickey Mouse balloon and I thought it was funeral flowers. Like I was like looking at the ceiling and I was like oh I was so sick. I thought I thought I was seeing funeral flowers. Like and I just was like that sick. I was like god never again. Yeah. But at least like even in the midst of that you can go this will be over. Yeah. At some point. And so I think that it has really affected my Mind like going through this experience to the point where like I'm a little more closed off to myself than usual because like I can't think and feel all the things Mm. right now or I'll just be a fucking mess yeah because I already have like one day a week where I just like ball because I'm just like I can't do this anymore I don't want to be this sick anymore and so they say you know your mindset going into doing psychedelic drugs like You don't want to go in in a bad mindset because you're going to have a quote unquote bad Bad trip trip or a difficult trip. And I think where I'm at right now, I'm not in a prime position to trip very hard because I have so many challenging things in front of me. And what I would be confronted with is an overwhelming feeling of helplessness. Hmm. which I, are like, I'm already aware of that. I yeah. don't need to go into the trip realm to become hmm. more cognizant of my helplessness. So I feel like once I'm over the phase of surgery, then I would like to trip and contemplate then on the path of healing, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Like, then it would be a good place to go, okay, you can let go of this trauma. You can maybe let go of some of this anger. I feel like I will never not be angry again, but I, I would like to reach a hmm. point in my life where i not. Furious in the way that I am internally furious all the time now, um, but yeah, it is something that I'm interested in doing once I'm over over the hump of yeah. healing because I feel like for me using psychedelic drugs is about healing and discovery, yeah, and. I usually, like, when people are like, oh, I don't want to go in the dark corners of my mind, I'm like, you shouldn't shy away from yourself. But, like, I feel like if I were fully open to all of the darkness in my mind right now, I could not be a functional human being. So there is a survival mode in locking those gates, and you need to be at a certain point in life to open them. Because a friend of mine recently was saying, like, she did um, mushrooms once, only once, and she was severely suicidal for 24 hours. Like, it was such a horrible experience. Wow. Um, and it's probably because of where she was at going into them. You know what I mean? And like, I, I can't say that if I were to do mushrooms now, I wouldn't have like a terrible time because I generally go into it with a mindset of seeking answers and Mm. like, I have all my answers right now. I just need solutions. Like I need the real world. I don't feel like I have like a spiritual disconnect. I feel like I'm having a disconnect with the real world. Yeah. It's not abiding by what I want, Scott. Mm -hmm. You sure. (laughs) (laughs) Understandable. (laughs) So, um, so yeah, so drugs are fun and good and everyone should do them, (laughs) but at the right time.
1: Yeah, I definitely can relate to that. I, uh, In my 20s, never wanted to do any kind of psychedelic. They scared the hell out of me uh, because I knew that I had a lot of, uh, you know, trauma I Mm -hmm. I mean I wasn't really in a good place (laughs) and uh, now I feel like uh, in my early 40s I'm like no I would love it now I feel like I really want to do I really do want to explore those areas Mm -hmm. but I have to get so I because I take uh, SNRIs and you can't be taking those uh, and doing psychedelics so I would have to get off of that first
0: and those are really hard to for just so for anyone who Mm -hmm. knows yeah they are very addicting someone like on twitter recently and tweeted like they say uh antidepressants are addicting but i forgot to take mine for two days and i feel fine so maybe they're not and i wrote back with links being like it depends on what you're on yeah like how um, long you've been on it yeah like, like i take wellbutrin periodically mm. um in certain phases of my life wellbutrin you can go off and on yeah, it doesn't exactly. cause a lot of ssris are extremely chemically addicting yeah s what are they? SNRIs? What yeah. you take? Those are the most addicting physically. Like yeah. it's. It's like the, heroin. Yeah. <laughs> so the idea of going, okay, you would have to go through terrible, terrible withdrawals and stay off of them for X number of time to yeah. then create this window in your life <laughs> would be very difficult.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I do aim to do it at some point. I do want to try it. Uh, I think my goal right now is when all this COVID messes over and, You know, life gets back to somewhat normal, and then I can, you know, go through the process of uh, of getting getting off getting off the old uh, SNRIs, and then doing some ayahuasca. Yeah, want to do some with head ayahuasca? I'd like to do some ibogaine as well yeah you know, some of that god during ibogaine
0: i would love that if anyone wants to sponsor me getting oh, ibogaine treatment hell yeah my venmo mm-hmm. is at sydney delorean
1: <laughs> just put some cash in an envelope and mail it to me scott McNulty. <laughs> just put scott McNulty on the envelope they'll find me they'll find they'll me they'll
0: find him <laughs> they will find him um what was I going to say? Oh, you know what? We left out a chapter of the book where he goes to the Rainbow Gathering, oh, yeah. which oh, wow. <laughs> our own Rob Love has been to. Of course he has. Which we discussed <laughs> on Patreon only. $1 a month, guys. Join uh, Patreon. Get on it. Get uh, on it. Give me a goddamn dollar.
1: Richard Grant does not have great things to say about the Rainbow people. Yeah. Uh... I tend, yeah. to, I tend to agree they with all of them. They <laughs> basically are like
0: a new age hippie type with a undefined spirituality that involves <laughs> free love and some Rastafarian stuff, and they all yeah. say they they all like say stuff about native people that isn't true or factual. I think exactly. that's where they the one guy goes, "The Native Americans were vegans, man." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and
1: that's like like I can get behind people just wanting to get together and have a good time and be peaceful. like i love I love that, you know, but mm-hmm. yeah, the the whole like denial of history and and just acceptance of any random fact in quotes, you know, that isn't, yeah, I think that's what really annoyed Richard Grant and also annoys me as someone who appreciates history. yeah, like learning real history when people say things that are just totally inaccurate my back kind of bristles I'm like oh no that's not right that's not right um, <laughs> that's not accurate <laughs> yeah he
0: says there because everyone's just so high that yes. <laughs> um, he's like no one ever says no or negates a statement you can say the wildest most untrue thing and people will be like yeah, yeah man <laughs> right on yeah. Um, it was interesting because they do it every year for like was it like two weeks or a month they yeah, set up like in the that. woods but like they like dig rat- latrines like they seem to have a really well self-running society yeah they
1: have it together i'll give them that it's super
0: well organized like they managed to make this a place to live um in in the middle of the woods yeah and then the interesting thing was they don't allow any drinking in the main camp so they put all the people who drink in a separate camp called A camp.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and it's
0: where like cuz they're just like there's too many fights like so yeah. we just put them out on the outskirts of camp and they can drink till they're stupid. and they get into fights it's violent there's yeah, all those They're like, crazy. They're basically
1: like bikers.
0: Yeah, they're really yeah. I pictured like yeah kind of like the um the freight train riders people like they just were real savage yeah um and i thought that was very interesting because i'm like yeah that is where like the violence happens like in the main area like there's no fights there's not any like drama really um it's all you have to do is remove the alcohol and things seem to be (laughs) pretty peaceful um you know it just goes with my campaign of uh, as Scott has a white claw, no <laughs> alcohol.
1: Well, it's a. We- I found that chapter so odd because it's such a strange, like set of extremes. Like mm-hmm. I, like reading about A camp and the horrors that are. I'm like, well, I would not want to be in there among yeah. those people at all. But I also wouldn't want to be among the rainbow people either because I would be annoyed by them. I was like, neither one of those describes me. Yeah. I'm like, I'm just a normal guy who likes to have a white claw. You know? so <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, I guess I just more need a regular camping trip. Yeah exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You would be better
0: with the quartzite campers on yeah, the RV circuit probably. where you stay at campsites with toilets.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, it's like, oh, we're going to have a campfire, roast some marshmallows, drink a few beers. Like, yeah,
0: okay. Yeah. No
1: fights, no screaming craziness you know that's
0: more where I fall into as well the interesting thing about hippies where like I appreciate like when people generally can make these sort of things work where they just work in peace and harmony you know but like they just it's like too much togetherness Mm. you know what I mean yeah there's no alone time and apparently that's like natural we are social creatures um i talked about the whatever tribe it was that like they all wanted to sleep in the same building yeah together um i think that i've just like the man has gotten to me i was raised the way i was raised yeah um I'm mildly autistic, apparently. So like, <laughs> I like to be alone. I want to be alone. I don't yeah. need someone in a long skirt spinning around going, let's spin with me, spin to the mute. Like I don't mm. need any of your fucking hippie bullshit. I don't, which when I did that episode about the Rainbow Gathering with Rob, I looked up some videos from Rainbow Gatherings and it was a lot of spinning dancing. Ooh. I saw some real grade A dancing. Um, But yeah, I just, for me, I'm like, get, I I don't, I don't need to be too much a part of you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, listen, I support what you're doing. You're making your fucking kombucha or whatever it is (laughs) the fuck you're doing. But also I don't need to be involved in it. You know? I agree. When I need some of that, I'll come get it. Like we can exchange goods. Yeah. We can barter. We can, I can exchange money for goods. I love doing that. But like, I just don't need to be. I don't need anyone up my ass, let alone someone who like yeah. doesn't shower regularly. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. That's that's where it all falls apart for me. I've always said, because I have these like super hippie tendencies, it's like this vegan who does make her own kombucha and like for a while I was making my own yogurt. Like I am a very like I make mm. my own salad dressings. I'm a very hippy dippy person. Yeah. But I love a fucking shower.
1: <laughs>
0: I love like I also I love a shower. I like solitude. Mm. I like a lot of these things that hippies don't like. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I I'm with you. Yeah. yeah. I also enjoy I very much enjoy living alone. And uh, yeah, too much time with people is very difficult.
0: I think it's why the RV situation always appealed to me. Like all I've wanted to do since I was a kid was retire. Like I used to play Golden Girls (laughs) with my Barbies because I was like, retirement is when it all happens. Yeah. And ever since I was little, all I wanted to do was travel the United States in an RV. Because I think I like the idea of you have your solitude, you have your little home, and then when you get to your place, like at these campgrounds, you get out, you talk to people, you meet people, you have a beer, you roast some corn together, yeah, and then you go back to your own place. (laughs) And when you're done, you just move on down. If you don't like your neighbors, you aren't Mm. clicking, you just move on down the road. So I think that's why RV culture has always appealed to me.
1: Yeah, I, I like I've always had a harbored a secret desire to be a trucker, a long haul yeah. trucker, but I've never made it happen. So,
0: well, a friend of ours tried to be a trucker, and then it, did, it didn't work out for him in trucker school.
1: Yeah, he wasn't very good at it. Yeah. So, I uh,
0: it seems like it'd be difficult.
1: I think it is. Yeah, I don't know how good at it I would be either. That's you know, I've never driven anything that large. So,
0: D- was it this book, or am I thinking of something else? Where he, so it was like a couple that drive trucks together. It's a married couple and they take shifts did richard grant talk to truckers in this book yeah he
1: did yeah he rode with one for a while and then he rode with a couple uh, yes yeah
0: um and he did he talk about lot lizards at all i can't remember
1: yeah he mentioned it yeah yeah the prosties that Mm -hmm. yeah frequent truck stops so
0: there's a great documentary i think it's on amazon called lot lizard i watched it did you really
1: yeah it was interesting
0: you're the second person that I've mentioned this obscure documentary to. That's gone. Oh yeah, I watched it.
1: <laughs> I watch any documentary that has to do with prostitution. <laughs> <laughs> I need to start my. I need to start a prosty podcast. <laughs> you really do. You really yeah. do.
0: You got to enlighten the people. Yeah. That's um, true. Yeah. Maybe that'll be a, a, a episode we'll do in the future. Is the world of lot lizards. Sure. I'm fascinated.
1: I mean, it's I, it's a very sad culture. I don't think it's really a, a positive thing.
0: No, uh, I think it's interesting. I, I th- am
1: sex worker positive, but yeah, I think that's kind of the low end of the. I spectrum. think it's interesting
0: because yeah. some of them like kind of have like relationships, which I guess like you, yeah. usu- you anyone does if they have like a regular, you know what I mean? Yeah. But like some of these, like these guys, are kind of like romantic to these gals, and they were yeah. like, "Oh, we're, I'm gonna go stop at this place. I'm gonna see so <laughs> and so. I got yeah. her flowers." So, <laughs> it was very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's just weird. It's such a, um, it's a culture outside of mainstream society. So like when people talk about like sex trafficking and how it happens, it's like it happens outside of mainstream society where like mm. these people don't have bank accounts. They don't have like the things that you and I have. Right. That would enable them to leave a situation. Yeah. So like, like these women, like they don't have a permanent place to live. They don't have bank accounts. They don't have like anything. Like they are totally on the fringes of society. Right. Like this is the only Job that they know how to do, or the only society they know how to interact with. Like, because it's a lot of them, it was sad. Like, they were like, Yeah, I was like, brought into it by my mama or like whatever yeah. i was a runaway and so it's like yeah you there's you can't just go up oh, i'm out i'm gonna go you know be the general manager of a, <laughs> of a village in like, right it just it doesn't equate because you are so outside of society you can't just like jump right back into it
1: yeah exactly i think the longer you spend in that kind of world mm-hmm. any kind of world that's outside like on the fringes it's very mm-hmm. difficult to get out of that yeah you know?
0: which i'm not saying like some people don't really want to a lot of these nomads did not want to like a lot of the the hitchhikers were like no man i don't want to do that like you're making your life complicated with jobs bills all this stuff like i don't Mm -hmm. want to do that i just do my own thing i got my backpack and whatever and i there is something to be said for that i guess
1: yeah for sure
0: but then the guy's like look at this scar on the back of my head motorists there's like throw
1: beer bottles yeah yeah that's like a
0: game for them to try to hit that's that's so cruel yeah yeah it's awful yeah, I don't like that. Um, well I guess that's it. Do you feel we did it?
1: Yeah, I feel good. Okay. Thanks for listening.
0: Thanks for coming on the podcast, Scott. It was my pleasure. Um have a happy hump day, everyone. Woohoo!